And most of them boys, Harry Russell and all of them, they hung out up at the house. Booker told them, said, if y'all don't let Freddie get sacked, I'll buy all the pizza y'all can eat. <laughs> and they all lit up. And so we went to the game. First time he dropped back, they nailed him. And all them boys were in the huddle. They looked over. Oh, man, we were standing in the end zone, sitting in the end zone. He just shook his head. Ah, don't worry about it. Next time he dropped back, he nailed him. He said, ah, fuck it. They got him twice. No pizza. <laughs> no he pizza No pizza. <laughs> that bummed him out. <laughs> no pizza for the... And they're off for another Gift 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean, instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And we're back with another episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. My name is Kenny, and we've got Ryan here today, and we are on site at Jim Beam. Yes, uh, it's Kenny's first time here. Uh, Jim Beam is that iconic brand that everyone knows, but it's, you know, also if you're going to do the bourbon tour, like it's the gateway to Bardstown. So you, Jim Beam's probably going to be your first stop, you know, from Louisville to get hit up all the Bardstown distilleries. And when you get here, it's such a beautiful property. You're, you're right by Bernheim Forest. You see all the right now in the spring all everything's trying to, to bud out and all the flowers are budding but it's just a cool property and you know when you get here the still house their new still house is really impressive they've done a great job they got an awesome tasting room um i think you can even pick out some 
Knob Creek single barrels. You know, I think I did that when I was here. It's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, it's just a cool experience. I really think so. I mean, like I said, I've I've driven through uh, plenty of times, and I always see Jim Beam on the left hand side as we're as we're chugging along, going down wherever we're going. And I knew Jim Beam was big. I knew it was big, but I didn't know it was this big. And it, we had this kind of aha moment when we were walking up here to to interview our guest today. And you sit on the porch and you kind of just look out and you look on the countryside and you see rickhouses and you see mills and you see, yeah, you see the rolling hills. Going up. It's, it's it's something. It's it's very awe and breathtaking. Uh, check our Instagram. We'll, we'll put a picture out there for you. But with that, let's go ahead and kick the show off. So today we have the... And global ambassador and master distiller of Jim Beam, Fred No. So, Fred, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. So, great. So, let's kick this off uh, like we always do. And we want to talk about kind of a little bit of family history. We want to kind of understand more about you. So, we know that Jim Beam is a, a seven-generation legacy, and you were really born into this. So, talk about your childhood a little bit. Well, you know, I was born and raised there in Bardstown. You know, Booker No was my dad. And we have two distilleries, one here in Claremont and one in Boston, Kentucky. Dad, the one in Boston, Kentucky, was always his baby. And my mother always said that was his first son and I was his second son. So <laughs> from the time, you know, I get asked all the time, when was the first time you were at the distillery? And, you know, I explain it. When I was growing up, and I just turned 59 this week, they didn't have these fancy car seats for kids. I mean, you stood up in the seat of the car and, when your parents put their arm out, when you when they hit the brakes, hopefully they got their arm out before they hit the brakes hard. Uh, that's when you rode around. Well, I was riding to the distillery with my dad from the time I was probably big enough to stand up in the seat with him. And I hung out down there. I grew up around the distillery over at Boston. And I was over at Claremont with him when he visited uh, this facility, too. And it's funny, you know, my office today is here in the T. Jeremiah Beam house. And when I was a boy growing up, Carl Beam lived on the property in this house. And Carl's son, Baker, who uh, was the distillery manager for many years, gave me a picture of me when I was two years old sitting on my father's knee in the same room my office is today. It's kind of funny how things come around. I'm back where I was 57 years ago. <laughs> But today I'm not sitting on anybody's knee. But, uh, you know, our, our family, it goes back to 1795. And old Jacob Beam, he started making whiskey down in Manton, Kentucky. I'm sure you're familiar where Washington, Marion, and Nelson County mm -hmm. come together. There's a little creek there. And old Jacob, he had a piece of ground. And he started making whiskey there back in 1795 and sold his first barrel. And, you know, the family made, he made the whiskey there. And then his son, David Beam, came along and moved the operation up behind Nazareth in an old distillery now that well, everybody's called it the Glencoe Distillery. But he moved it there to get closer to the railroad that was coming through. If, uh, you know, any of your listeners are familiar with Bardstown. It's where the know, dinner train runs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's actually the same railroad that comes by Claremont, the same railroad line. That was the new railroad coming through in the 1800s. So he wanted to get closer to the railroad line to be able to bring in raw materials and ship out finished whiskey. So then the, the family business moved there. And then his son, David M. Beam, came into the business. And 
ran and developed really the first brand. You know, back in the old days, you didn't really have brands of whiskey. You just made the stuff and sold it. But Old Tub was our original brand. And that was the brand, first brand that David M. Beam named. And he ran the business. And then his son, James Beauregard Beam, or Jim Beam, came along. He was the fourth generation of Beams to be involved in the business. And he held the business true until the dreaded prohibition came about. You know, and that's when everything got shut down. And, you know, Jim had to shut it down, get out of the business because, you know, a lot of families got rich during prohibition selling off the whiskey in the warehouses. When I lived with Jim Beam's daughter, uh, Mildred, when she got up in age there in Bardstown, and she didn't have any children, so I kind of was the, the grandchild she never had. So I moved in with her when I was in college and and drove back and forth to school in Louisville. And uh, she'd tell stories, and when she talked about her father, it was Papa this, Papa that. And I asked her about Prohibition several times, because I always thought that was really wild. That the government came along and just shut everything down. And she said, Fred, Papa didn't want to go to jail. So he sold everything off. And I said, well, how did he sell a distillery when Prohibition was enacted and there was no way you could make whiskey, own it, age it, or do anything legally? And she explained that back in those days, all your distilleries had farms attached to them because we have a byproduct after we distill called stillage or slop, which is the water and grain after the alcohol has been taken away. When well, the old days, the distillers would feed that off to farm animals and to get rid of the slop and then raise up animals and that would be another source of income. But what Jim Beam did was he sold his farm and just threw the distillery in with it just to get away from it because he didn't want to go to jail. Uh, he tried his hand at citrus farming in Florida, which they skinned him pretty good. I can't imagine a feller from Kentucky <laughs> trying to go to Florida and make it in the citrus farming business. But they skinned him pretty good, she said. Then he tried coal mining in eastern Kentucky. And that's another deal where I don't think the folks in eastern Kentucky like flatlanders from here coming up there trying to take all the money out. He didn't do too well at that. His third business venture that kept the family alive during Prohibition was a rock quarry right here in Bullock County, uh, right here where we're located today down here at Claremont. There's a big limestone deposit. And he started digging limestone rock crushing it and selling it, and it kept the family alive during Prohibition. And then when Prohibition was repealed, he reopened the Murphy Barber Distillery that was located on this property here in Bullock County. And that's kind of how our family got back into business. He had to help his son, his son, T. Jeremiah, uh, his nephew, Carl Beam, and his brother, Park Beam. And they cranked this place back up in 120 days which at that time, Jim Beam was 70 years old. Hell, I'm 59. If I can get the grass cut at my house, I'm tickled. <laughs> That's a good day then, right? I, I couldn't imagine starting a distillery in 11 years. But, you know, I'm damn glad he did because Lord knows what I'd be doing today, you know. And then Uncle Jerry, T. Jeremiah Beam, he didn't have any kids. So when he looked to bring another family member into the business, he had to look to his sister Margaret's family. Jim Beam had three kids, Margaret, uh, Mildred and T. Jeremiah, and only one had any children, and that was Margaret, and she married Frederick Booker No over in Springfield, Kentucky, and Dad was the firstborn 
son, so he was Frederick Booker No Jr. And Dad was 21 years old when he came to work here, and he ran. Uh, he worked here. Then they sent him over to the uh, Boston facility when they bought it, the old Churchill Downs distillery that they bought for more production. And that was Dad's baby, and it's still. Now it is the Booker No plant. Uh, I was the only child Mom and Dad had, so Booker didn't have a whole lot of choices when he looked <laughs> to, bring, to a, bring another family member to the business. You're my favorite son. <laughs> <laughs> I was the favorite, the prettiest, the ugliest, smartest, the dumbest. But it was funny, always growing up, Dad had one rule for me. If I wanted, since he didn't finish college, uh, he wanted me to finish college before he let me come to work. So after eight years and a lot of his money, I finally got out of college. But so you're, you, da you're damn near a doctor then, right? Pretty close. Okay. Partying. Partying. That's what <laughs> that's I kept right. telling Dad. I got the same degree. He uh, he didn't like it because he was footing the bills. But it's one of them things, you know, dads like their sons do better than they did. And he always said, you got to have the education no matter what. So it was always good. We uh, And they started me off night shift, bottling line supervisor uh, here at the plant. And it's funny, we have an eighth generation. My son, Freddie, now, I had the same rule for him. He had to finish college. It only took him six years. <laughs> so I think he's a little smarter than his old man. But uh, he's doing the same thing. He's working in production now, doing bottling and about to move into this distillation. So at some point, we'll turn the reins over to Freddie and I'll ease off into the sunset. But, you know, not right. quite ready to do that yet, but we'll see. So you, you, there's a there's a pretty clear message there. It's your dad and your family has a big stick on education. What are some other things that your father taught you along the way that kind of makes you more appreciate the job that you have today and, and the role that you play at this distillery? Oh, I'd say one of the big things, Booker's big thing, was don't uh, bullshit or tell lies. You know, don't let the marketing people get you to tell a story. It's not true because with, and he didn't realize it as much as I do. You know, now the master distiller position has changed dramatically in the last 50 years. I mean, when dad was the master distiller in the 60s, you just stayed at the distillery and you ran the distillery. That was it. But now you're as much a a PR marketing person as you are a production person because you know, getting out on the road and educating your consumers on, you know, the bourbons you're making and what bourbon's all about and how to enjoy it and being a face for people to recognize. And with the Internet and, you know, a deal like you guys, you guys are coming in here interviewing me. You're going to put this out there where everybody can hear it. You know, if I come up with some bullshit story... And anybody knows the business, they'll be on there tomorrow and say, wait a minute, he is full of shit. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, and Dad, I never realized how valuable that advice was, was to always be truthful and straight up and treat the people you meet like you'd want to be treated. And I'm kind of pretty pretty accessible. I mean, they've got my office up there close to our visitor center where I can step out and see the Folks that are visiting, shake hands, take a picture, sign a bottle. Kiss babies. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever we need to do. And we have a, and it's, it's kind of fun. But, you know, and then, you know, always put out products that you enjoy too, you know, and something that you'd be proud to hand to your friends. I mean, so that was kind of Booker's way and, you, you know, be true and don't, you know, don't be taking any shortcuts. And you, you talked about your, your, you know, you have a lot of different faces now as a master distiller, as PR and all these other things. And not only the master distiller, but you also have the the title of global brand ambassador. <laughs> so do you ever sleep? Oh, yeah. I sleep on planes very well. Yeah. Uh, 
I've never mastered that. We are. It's funny. We we laugh about it. You know, Jimmy Russell at Wild Turkey, him and Booker were like two peas in a pod. Elmer T. Lee, you know, Elmer and Dad and Jimmy, I think, were the elder statesmen of this bourbon industry. And back in the 80s, they developed these premium bourbons, super premiums, and went on the road promoting them. And they kind of changed the image of the master distiller. And I think everybody now is experiencing this great renaissance of bourbon because of the travel they do. I mean, Jimmy, who's been working over 60 years at Wild Turkey, he's still doing it. He's still traveling. I mean, he's a road warrior. And, I mean, we all travel the world. And, you know, growing up, I never dreamed I'd set foot in Russia. Hell, that's where the damn communists are. You don't go to (laughs) Russia, China. I said, what do you mean, you know? Japan, Everybody Australia. likes to drink no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> and you just never dream that, you know, going over there and talking that hundreds of people will show up to listen to you talk about what we make here in Kentucky. And it's uh, pretty amazing to see. I mean, you go to Bulgaria, Jim Beam, white label, is the number one imported agricultural good in Bulgaria. Think about that. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. <laughs> I mean, and they love their Jim Bean. And their political figures will come out to cocktail parties I throw, and you're sitting there with the Secretary of Agriculture, the Secretary of their Ministry. And you're going, and then one of the U.S. ambassador asked me one time over there, could you get the cats in Washington, D.C. to come out? I said, are you crazy? <laughs> I mean, these guys will sit there and hold a bottle of Jim Beam and let them take pictures. They're proud to hold that bottle of Jim Beam. Where, you know, politicians here in the States are too worried about, well, I don't know if I, don't know if I can say being politically correct anymore, but, you know, they don't want to hold bottles of bourbon I'm afraid they're going to lose a vote. Exactly. Over there, those guys, they're proud of it. And it's, uh, it's pretty amazing just to see different cultures and how they enjoy it. And it's pretty common. I mean, cocktails, uh, neat on the rocks, you know. So you've been to a few places then. So what have you, what's your what's your top, what's your short list of some of the favorite places you've been? Oh, Australia is one of my favorites. I mean, Jim Beam is the number one spirit sold in Australia. And they speak English. You know? make that makes easy. it a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah. It makes it real easy for me. I mean, when I've got to deal with a translator, I'm, the translator is listening to my English <laughs> And probably thinking, man, this guy, guy doesn't speak very good English. <laughs> and I'm going to try to translate the same this thing. into Japanese or, you know, and if you don't have a clue, I mean, some people kind of know what languages are, but I, I have no, and people say, why don't you learn how to, I said, shit, I'm not going to try to butcher up somebody else's language. <laughs> I have a hard of time saying cheers in English, you know, but, and I enjoy Bulgaria is a good country. We've got a great sales team there. Uh, Germany. You know, and here in the States, we got a great sales team, too, and, you know, different parts of, you know. And the thing is, I get to see all the, you know, the good food, the uh, best bars. It's not like I'm a tourist and trying to seek out places. I got the best tour guides in the each market I go into because they're waiting for me. They've been planning long in advance. Fred's coming. we got to make <laughs> sure he has a good time. Sometimes they take it a little too far. About It is about Jim Beam that makes it such a world domination, you know, the number one world bourbon. I think the mixability of it, it's very approachable, the Jim Beam white label, the heritage. You know, you get in Europe and Japan and, you know, even Australia, when you can track the history of this product back to 1795, and there has been 
a Beam family member involved in this business since the beginning of time to today. Uh, you know, it's truly American from the U.S. here. You know, bourbon's America's native spirit. A lot of those factors go into play, and we've Uncle Jerry Beam, that was one of his goals was to take Jim Beam around the world. So he was one of the first, I guess, bourbon guys to really take bourbon away from here. And we we really had a little help, to be honest. We uh, worked extensively with the U.S. Armed Services, and they had it in all these posts around the world. And I'm sure our troops that were in the Vietnam War, when they took leave and went down into Australia— to take their leaves, they were probably taking their rations of Jim Beam with them and probably shared it with some of the Australian folks that they met along the way you go to Germany. They did a million cases of Jim Beam last year in Germany. And I'm sure our presence in Germany back years ago during the World Wars and the rations of Jim Beam that were sent over there probably trickled its way out into the German public. So it's been a, you know, we're kind of, Jim Beam is intertwined into the history of the U.S., and it's a very approachable, easy to drink bourbon, very mixable, and you know you can uh, whoop it up any way you like. I think that's helped grow it to being the number one bourbon in the world today. Yeah, it helps when your product's good. Makes <laughs> it easy to sell. <laughs> yeah, that, that does help too. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. So you talked earlier about, you know, you, you start in the distillery, uh, work in the night shift bottling line, and you've held a lot of jobs at the distillery. Mm -hmm. So we asked this for a lot of people that have been in the, in the game for a long time. What's the best and the worst job at the distillery? The worst jobs, probably, we used to do uh, Mr. and Ms. T Bloody Mary mix here. Beam owned that. And we... You make that Bloody Mary mix in batches. And I've worked a night shift, and there's a three-hour cleanup 
at the end of night shift. Night shift ended at 1 a.m. in the morning. Well, there comes a point you could run a batch, seemed like in about 40 minutes, and you had four tubs. And you was, if you were a gambler, you know, you, what the idea was to try to run out at 1 o'clock. You know, don't have a batch sitting there where it took you, well, you know, on Friday night, you know, this is going into the weekend. I was 25 years old, probably 26. And the workers, they wanted to go home too. And probably the worst job was saying, do we make another batch or do we ride out what we got? Do we gamble and think we'll get done on time or make another one and try to get done? You know, and then you, when you say, go ahead and open it up because you had to open up a 55-gallon drum of tomato paste. Once you opened it, you had to make it. There wasn't no... No turning back. There wasn't no turning back. <laughs> and nine times, well, I wouldn't say nine. I probably, as many times as not, as soon as you open that, Bat that drum of paste, something would break down on the bowling line, and then and they're looking at and all, and, yeah, and everybody else's Friday night, and that was probably the worst was making that call because I'd sweat and walk back and forth, and the two guys in the kitchen who made it, they'd say, "We'll let you know when it's the last minute. How about that? We won't open that." I said, "Okay," and they'd come over and look at the line, see how it was running, and we'd kind of do a joint effort, but it was always my call. <laughs> And the best, I mean, I guess probably what I'm doing today is probably the best job of the talking to us. Yeah, that's yeah I mean, it's yeah. easy. I mean, you know, it's pretty painless. I mean, you know, talking, we're no Seth Myers or anything. I wasn't, <laughs> yeah, that was funny when I did that Seth Myers thing. They said, "Are you nervous?" I said, "Why? All I'm gonna do is a bourbon tasting. I do this all the time." Yeah, but it's on national TV. I said, well, "It don't matter if it's one person or a million. What's the difference? I'm still gonna say the same stuff." And that producer said, you've got a good attitude. I mean, and really, it wasn't no big deal. They got a little studio audience there. It's not really 1230 at night. It's 630 right. in the evening. So, you know, you're not, it's not the, my worry was, how the hell am I going to stay awake that late? <laughs> I'm always usually asleep by midnight. But it was, they treated me nice. It was really cool. And Jennifer Lawrence, she was on there. You know, had two Kentucky folks. And Kurt Russell, he was there. Kurt wanted to talk about barrels. He's a wine guy. Oh, okay. And he kept. After everybody left the room and it was me and him, he said, you got a minute? I said, yeah. What kind of barrels do you use? He didn't want to ask any questions in front of everybody else. When everybody left the room, he got me aside and started asking me, how big are they? What's the char level? He was really inquisitive. I said, why are you? He said, well, I make a little wine out in California. He said, I don't have a vineyard. I buy juice and I do it. I said, oh, okay. I said, you need some wine. I gave him a card. I said, you need some barrels? Let me know. We'll. He's almost send you some wine. We, I got a few in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, probably got a few of those little We least. got a few we can probably hook him up with. We'll see. I mean, I haven't seen my case of wine come in yet, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> hey, as long as you got them on your Rolodex or in your phone. Uh, you, it's, all right. Well, I didn't get his number. He got mine. <laughs> oh, that's I smart. I don't know if that's Don't good. call me. I'll call you. <laughs> right. If he wants barrels, he can give me a call. But he, I gave him a bottle of uh, Distiller's Masterpiece, and I saw as he left. He was cradling that bottle of bourbon. Somebody else was carrying his goodie bag they gave him. So, well, he kind of liked that gift I gave him. He was making sure he had a hold of it. So it was good. Yeah, that's good. So you are rubbing some shoulders with some some A-list celebs. Even though Every now and then, yeah. We, we crossed paths with some pretty cool folks. That's what to say. Even the latest B-Mads feature, Mila Kunis. So <laughs> yeah. How, what's that like? What's, I guess, was that your decision to bring no, her on board? No, 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 no. I, to be honest, when uh, I was told I was going to be working with Mila Kunis, they say, you know who she is, right? Our mark, chief marketing officer at Tyrus. Not really. And he said, what? You really don't know who Mila Kunis is? I said, no, but I don't know actors and actresses by name. If you would have said the little dark-headed girl off the 70s show, I would have known what he was talking about. But, you know, my son Freddie, 
he spits out actors and actresses' names like it's his buddies, you know. And when uh, they sent me a clip of me, I said, oh, I know, I know who she is. And then she came here to, to Kentucky, and we we hung out, and I taught her about bourbon, and we had a we had a good time. And I went to California, and we've done some stuff together in New York, and we're uh, we become pretty good friends. She's a she's like the girl down the street that you like to hang out with. She's a, her biggest worry when she she came to hang out and work with me was she was scared that she cussed too much to be around me. <laughs> said you fit right in. Yeah. Well, my wife was talking to her and she said, I'm a little nervous. And she said, why? I said, well, I curse a lot. And don't worry. You're good with Fred. He cusses a lot. He said, oh, you don't understand. I say the F-bomb a lot. Don't worry. He does too. <laughs> and so I kind of put her at ease with him when we got finished with our uh, – First little shoot, they didn't want us to get together until they had the cameras rolling. They didn't want us to hang out and talk. They got to get that blooper they reel. That, they got they, they wanted gotta... it right off the bat. So we did our thing. We got done. I got in her ear, and I, I threw the F-bomb in her ear. So we're going to get along just fine, big boy. And we we did. We had a lot of fun. And when uh, they released all of our video clips, at that time it was her boyfriend. Now it's her husband. Uh, she kept talking about AK, AK. I said, who in the hell's AK? <laughs> She said, that's my boyfriend. She says, you don't know who my boyfriend is? I said, Mila, how would I know your boyfriend? I just met you. You don't read People magazine? <laughs> not much. No, I'm not a gossip. I don't guess I don't do that stuff. I don't look at those magazines at the checkout of the grocery store when I go get mom's groceries. But anyway, she explained to Ashton Kutcher. I said, really? Oh, cool. And I said, what? And she explained who he was. And I said, yeah, yeah, I've seen him on TV quite a bit. Pretty, like pretty cool dude. Oh, yeah, he likes whiskey. Well, we were in New York debuting all our video clips and AK's in the back of the room baseball cap pulled down and I spied him and I asked her I said there's somebody in the back of the room I need to go talk to and she looks and said oh yeah 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 he wants to talk to you so I slipped back there and introduced myself and he said oh, nice to meet you well as soon as Mila shook loose she came back and said yeah glad you met Fred yeah 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 I said what do you think about our stuff I said y'all did good and she goes you know everything we did was in one take he said, I could see that. There's a chemistry between you two. After I talked to him, I said, I, he said, I bet you two got along real good because I was about as full of shit as she is. <laughs> and so we we laughed and giggled a lot. And she felt at ease and made it easy for her. I mean, we, we did what we had to do. He'd tell us what he wanted to say. And we walked around, walked down the railroad tracks. And I asked her, you ever walked down railroad tracks before? No. That's what we have now, darling. So we <laughs> It was kind of funny. That's interesting. So we actually had a, a question from one of our fans that said, so what did you think when Mila blew up the Rick House in the latest ad? <laughs> <laughs> well, she was uh, – it was funny. I mean, when she came down here, we were in the, the Rick House right here close, and she just couldn't get over the, all the barrels. You know? But I knew what was going to be in the ad, and I was I sent her a little email. I said, as long as you do it, out on the movie set and not here in Kentucky will be okay. Yeah. And she just laughed. But yeah, she... Uh, There's a whole thing with fires and rickhouses. They, they, they don't, don't go don't together go well. Yeah. She was... She understood that because it was November when we were here shooting, early December, November, late November, early December. It was very cold and we were in, that, in there and they, they wanted us to take off our coats, you know, because they liked to, you know, to make it look like it was spring. And <laughs> she was freezing to death. I was pretty cold too, so... So we, they put us back in the truck and let us warm up. And we get back out and run in there and do it real quick and jump out. I said, this the way all this acting stuff is? Oh, yeah, that's the way it is. I said, <laughs> I said more power to you, darling. Not made for me. <laughs> right. I'll stick to what I do. You stick to what you do. But she's really fun. She really was into the to whiskey. 
she really wanted to learn about it and really is a whiskey drinker. She's not just, not we didn't just write her face. a check and yeah. all of a sudden she comes and all of a sudden she's the voice and, uh, and the face on Jim Beam TV ads. She really was into it. Her and Ashton are whiskey folks. They like it, enjoy it. Now she's got a pretty good supply of it. She's got a barrel aging right down here now. You know? Oh, that's awesome. She asks about her barrel every now and then. I said, well, it's still there, darling. We'll see. I might go down and tap into it for oh. you. <laughs> well, I noticed I noticed that you're on Twitter and she's not, right? So <laughs> she doesn't uh, she doesn't do that kind of stuff. It's kind of funny. I mean, she's not into that. She's wants to have her private life and uh, myself, I'll be honest, I'm not that big. If, uh, I don't do a lot of tweeting and stuff. My son and our, our social media guy here at Claremont, uh, they kind of school me a lot and lead me a lot on this stuff. And you boys, y'all going to get me in trouble. I can just see it coming. But between yeah, Freddie. don't tweet past midnight. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, when I put one, whether you not to worry, our, our social media folks in our corporate headquarters, they watch – Watch me very, very good. Yeah, it's got to make their approval. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it gets out there, I don't know how you pull it back. I there mean, you go. That's true. It's one of them things, once you say it, I think you're kind of too too bad, you know, SOL. So let's let's kind of switch gears a little bit and kind of get back to a little bit more of the business. So you've been through the ups and downs in the industry. What's the current state of Jim Beam today? Oh, it's rocking and rolling. I mean, uh, bourbon is hot as a pistol. I mean, we can, if we could age it, faster or, uh, you know, had more rack house spaces. I mean, you might have noticed when you pulled in, we're building rack house on any flat spot we got. We're making not flat spots flat. <laughs> uh, we're getting barrels. we got both our two distilleries running pedal to the metal. Our capacity, we're probably well over 90% full of barrels. So it's uh, we're aging as much as we can. Uh, if we had more, we could sell it. There's never, uh, we have no excess inventory. We're not giving away much age either. I mean, you know, it's when I first came here, our four-year-old Jim Beam was running almost six years old. It was well over 50, 50 52, 53, 54 months uh, for a 48-month product. So, and now it's four years. It's right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like we're giving away age. So it's and, – and, and the thing is we haven't even tapped all the markets worldwide that you could, you know, get into with both feet. Right. So there's a lot of emerging markets we could we could work into down the road. But until we have more bourbon ready to go, it's crazy to open up more markets if you can't supply the ones you have. Mm-hmm. So Ryan actually, good problem had, Ryan had Ryan had a good question when we were com coming up here, and I, I wrote it down to just make sure we touched on it. And I think since since Jim Beam is such a, a, a big brand, we know that Freddie is going to take over the reins one day. And as we see more and more engineering programs expand and more universities offer programs, do you think the future of distilling is more going to be of a science rather than an art? I don't think you could ever turn it totally into science. I mean, there is a little chemistry involved. I mean, you do make a mash. The whole idea is to convert all the starches and the grains to sugar. Uh, your yeast, you know, needs to eat all that sugar during your fermentation time to yield as much alcohol as you can. Uh, that's about as much science as you really need. I mean, that this goes back a long ways. But the art of, you know, aging the barrels and mingling them together after aging and coming up with your mash bills 
to get the flavors that you're wanting uh, will always be there. And, I mean, the, the guys in the white coats, I mean, they have a place, you know, in the industry, but they don't need to be the ones always developing your products. You know, you need to have folk, good old boys that just like to drink bourbon and know what's going to happen when you put a barrel on the ninth floor, seventh floor, fifth floor, third floor, and after aging, when you mingle them together, what it's going to taste like. And, you know, so it's uh, there's still going to be a good mix of, of craft put in there with it. You know, it's not going to be all science, you know, there's a, you're never going to do away with the whole thing. Right. right. You can never. And with those lab coats, you know, there's a lot of different products that are underneath the Jim Beam portfolio. Now, mm -hmm. are those lab coats and those people one of the big reasons why there's such a consistency and flavor between all those? Or, I mean, do you, well, who, who are your, kind of your, your right-hand people? Well, the big, big thing that they can help us with, and they do, is for consistency. You know, when we pull samples of mash and we send it for analyzation, they're looking to make sure that we have converted all the starches to sugar. I mean, that's there's no residuals left that we didn't get converted. Uh, when we get with our fermentation, did we work off all of that sugar and there's nothing left? Now, or did we work it too long and bacteria start building? So they can look at things in the lab and see how sensed up you got your process. Because ours is a continuous steel. We, when we crank up, we want to run continuous 24 hours a day for we run actually now we're running 13 days in a row before we shut down to clean up. But during that time, cleanliness is important, looking for bacteria uh, build up in the system. And, you know, there's just little things that the guys in the lab can see with their data if you're going in the right direction or if you're wandering off. And our big thing is we want every drop that comes out of that tailbox to be the same. So when it goes in that barrel and after aging, it's going to come out and be the same. And then, you know, also they can look at, the color we're picking up is our color remaining the same. You know, when you pick up a bottle of Jim Beam in Australia, is it going to look the same as a bottle in Kentucky as a bottle in Germany, you know, for the consistency stuff. Right. So that's, you know, and now we have developed an in-batch system in our uh, distillery where we've broken down how we make the bourbon into small individual steps and everything like measurement of temperatures, raw materials going into each batch is much tighter now than it ever was before. So that, again, for consistency, that's the big thing that, you know, engineers and science can help us is to come up with, you know, things that will make our process uh, as consistent as possible. So everything we make is always what we want and not, something on the gray areas. Right. So uh, we're getting to the end of this and I need to, we need to ask about three more questions about the brands themselves. I've got someone that I were just dying to kind of talk about. Uh, first is what was the inspiration? This actually came from uh, Josh. who's a, a, a kind of gave us this question on Twitter. He said, what was the inspiration behind the signature craft release series? Well, the signature craft series was an experimentation. We did 12 years, or I guess now it'd be 13 years ago to think outside of the barrel we always made our bourbons with corn, rye, and malted barley. That was our grains. Now, on the Signature Craft Series, our harvest collection in that bunch, we went and looked at the rye component, which that's the flavor grain. Corn, you know, the big thing there is for the starches, for the sugar. So we started pulling out that part. The malted barley 
its big job is during the uh, cooking or mashing is converting the starches to sugar. So we pulled out that one taste profile grain. So what we did was we looked at stuff that we'd never looked at before. We did a triticale, which I didn't know. I couldn't even say that. I called it triticale. And they said, no, no, you got to get it right. And it was a cross between wheat and rye. We put that in there and made one fermenter. We did brown rice, which I thought, whatever the hell are we putting rice <laughs> in bourbon for? Making sake. Right. Well, I'll jokingly say that uh, I knew that the Suntory deal was coming down the road, so that's why we did that. But no, that's not true. <laughs> uh, we did a, a six-row barley. We did a rolled oats. We did a red winter wheat, and we did an extremely high rye content. And the plan on this on these bourbons was to sample them as they aged and to select one or two and to revisit them and have it as a line extension. Well, Jerry Dalton, who was the master distiller at the time, he retired. Harry Krigler, who was the distillery manager over at Boston, he retired. And these products kind of got forgotten. And when we came out with the signature craft series, they were looking for limited releases. And so I said, well, what about these whiskeys we've got laying down in the rock house from this experiment? And I looked around the room, and most of the people in the meeting uh, weren't even at Jim Beam 11 years prior. So they had no idea what I was talking about. So then we pulled these barrels out that we had aging, and we bottled them up because we only made one fermenter. So it was a very limited release. There was no revisiting. Now, we have revisited the brown rice since then because it had uh, a lot of legs and a lot of people commented how much they liked it. So you will see that one be revisited down the road. But that's how the, the Signature Craft Harvest Series came about. Good deal. And there's a new one that's going to be hitting the, the shelves soon, Booker's Rye. You want to talk about mm -hmm. that one a little bit? Well, that's one that, you know, we, you know, my dad, he passed away 14 years ago. And uh, we were looking for things, like I say, no, it's just is 2016, it was forced 12 years ago. And we were looking for things like the 25th anniversary of Booker's Bourbon. I found some barrels where the last barrels laid down before Dad uh, passed away. So that was a limited release of the last Booker's he made before he, he died. Looking through some barrel inventories, I found some rye whiskey that Dad laid down before he passed away. And so we kind of held it back. And, you know, being of the true Booker's uh, scenario, it's going to be bottled uncut, unfiltered. Uh, I mean, well, well, we'll strain out the charcoal when we dump the bourbon or the rye out of the barrels. Like I said, it's a little filtration, and we'll bottle it at whatever strength it comes out to be. And there's just, a, I think, maybe 500 barrels, so it's going to be a very limited release. Uh, Dad hand-wrote the labels for the... Uh, Booker's, original batch of Booker's. So the, our brand management folks, uh, girls from Chicago, asked me if I would handwrite the labels for uh, the Booker's Rye. So going back to my cursive writing style was so tough. It's going to be a lost, lost art form yeah, soon, right? it It's pretty lost art with me, I'm telling you. But I got it, and then... Uh, we're going to have it out. The proof, I won't know until we actually get it out of the barrel. I've tasted the samples. It's going to be some unique product. Very, very limited. 
But I think the uniqueness of it being the last whiskey that Dad put down uh, will make it really cool. So, And one more to just kind of go back because you get asked about tasting bourbon and how, how you're supposed to drink it or whatnot. I want to kind of ask something a little bit differently. So if you have to start with one of the bourbons into the, under the Jim Beam umbrella and kind of maybe make your way to, to the point where you can drink Booker's Neat, right? So kind of, kind of, how do you start that journey for somebody that's maybe just now getting into bourbon? Well, I mean, the Jim Beam White Label is very approachable. Uh, you know, it's four years of age. It's a light, you know, mellow bourbon that's easy to drink, very mixable. If you want to put a little soft drink in it, that's fine. I mean, my mom drinks her... To this day, of all the products that she's had the opportunity to taste, which has been probably everything we've ever made, she'll say, it's okay, but I still like my Jim Beam white and ginger ale. <laughs> and it's funny, the more I travel, you find that. in there's folks that are so, that's what they grew up on. That's what they enjoy. You know, these high-end bourbons, it was funny. I, I was with a fellow in Massachusetts, and he, is, he does podcasts, and he married a girl from Kentucky. And he was trying to impress his mother-in-law and came down here for Christmas last year. He told his story on the air and he brought, he knew he would never tell me what he brought, a very expensive bottle of bourbon. So, you know, we're not talking, he didn't just bring a $25 bottle. He, he really went out on a limb, bought something really, really expensive, brought it here to the state. And they live up in, uh, I think he said Georgetown. And Christmas, he presented his mother-in-law with this bottle and, they opened it, and they took a drink, and she said, that's pretty good. And he said she walked over to the cabinet, pulled out her bottle of Jim Beam. <laughs> and put, <laughs> he said, you talk about really feeling terrible. He said, I bought this expensive bottle, and if I would have made her more happy, if I would have bought her just a bottle of Jim Beam and had you sign it and given it to her, <laughs> I did sign a bottle of Jim Beam for her. So this Christmas, I think he said he's going to give her the bottle of Jim Beam and see if he doesn't get a little more positive reaction than his expensive bottle he was trying to impress her with. But you always got to one-up it for Christmas every year, right? Yeah. That's right. So the the last thing that we have to do since we we have this going, you know, your dad, and you've done plenty of tastings, your dad had a stink, distinct way of tasting bourbon. Mm -hmm. So kind of talk about that real quick, and we got we got to end the show with that. Well, Dad, he, he liked to put the bourbon in his mouth and – Work it all around because different parts of your mouth pick up different flavors. And the way he tasted, he chewed on it, you know, and he worked it all around. And a, a whiskey writer many years ago who I guess was hanging out with Dad tasting bourbon coined the term the Kentucky Chew on the way Booker tasted his bourbon. And it was funny. Dad would make a, a noise kind of when he tasted it. And it stuck with him all through his tasting career. That's so why everybody asked me, you know, can you do the Kentucky Chew? So I always uh, show people how to do it, and we'll do it. We'll, today we're going to have a little event here, and I will educate our people that come and do the Kentucky Chew. And for lunch, we'll chew on a little bourbon, which I actually did it on Seth Meyers' show. And uh, <laughs> Seth did pretty good on it. He did a lot better on uh, the Jim Beam apple than he did the Jim yeah, Beam so black. Yeah, he's used to chewing apples. So. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, I don't think he was expecting that Jim Beam black, the flavor, to hit him like it did. He got a pretty good mouthful of that after the apple. And he kind of, I watched his eyes kind of light up, but he he was a trooper. He did it. I'm anxious for him. He says he wants to come visit and actually see how we make the bourbon, so we'll see if he does come. But he might. 
if he comes over to the Derby, he said he wants to come down and walk through and see how bourbon's made. I said, no problem. We can do that. Yeah. You'll give him the A-list treatment here then, right? We'll give him a 50 cent tour. That's yeah, right. 50 cent tour. <laughs> we'll, we'll walk him through and let him taste out of the fermenter and, you know, maybe get him a shot out of the still, uh, the tailbox. Like right. him chew on a little of that white dog, see what happens to him. Oh, fantastic. We'll light him up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, good deal. So, uh, again, want to say thank you for coming on the show today. This was uh, fantastic to just kind of get your insight and learn more about you, your family, the products, uh, and everything that happens here at Jim Bean. My pleasure. Y'all come back anytime. You're always welcome here. Yeah, appreciate it, Fred. You know, I grew up around here, so you've all, Jim Bean's been around my life. You know, it's in Bardstown, and, you know, everybody's employed by Beam, or, you know, you grow <laughs> up with – you know, I grew up with your son, so I really appreciate, you know, spending the time and sharing all this history yeah. and info with me. So uh, Anytime. Yeah, we always say you come as a friend, you leave as family. You awesome. guys are part of the Beam family now. Sweet. Fantastic. I'll just go ahead and just Kendrick Coleman Beam. There you go. <laughs> hey, can we get on the bottle? <laughs> we can work on that. Yeah. Well, good deal. So if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bourbon Pursuit. You can also like us on Facebook because we basically regurgitate every content. It always ends up on Facebook. That's right. And if you have any uh, show suggestions, feedback, uh, just please let us know and uh, we'll see you next time.